The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus answered Judas, not Iscariot, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading from Acts this morning continues to trace the expansion of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit following Jesus' ascension, beyond the Holy Land and now as far as Greece, and introduces us to the first European convert to Christianity, a woman named Lydia. Acts tells us that Lydia lived and worked in the city of Philippi, dealing in textiles colored with a purple dye for which the region was famous. These purple fabrics were often worn by royalty or society's elites, and so it would have been a very lucrative business. Her wealth allowed her to live independently. We hear of no husband. She's not called by her family name. And she lives in a spacious house, enough to host guests. Lydia was also a seeker. Though she was a Gentile by birth, Lydia worshipped the God of Judaism One day, Lydia met the Apostle Paul outside the city gates. When Paul saw her, she was with a group of devout women who gathered to pray at a place by the river just outside of the city. He witnessed to her about Jesus, and she was converted to Christianity. As a newly baptized Christian, Lydia extended the invitation to Paul and Silas and other apostles to come and stay at her home. Having a place to stay freed them to preach and minister without looking for other work. And so Lydia's home became the place where the fledgling church in Philippi gathered for worship and fellowship. And so scholars tell us that she was the founding leader of the church in Philippi. And like so many other women in the Jesus movement and the early church, she financially supported the church's mission. Indeed, women bankrolled much of the Jesus movement and the early church. Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Susanna, and other women gave from their resources to support Jesus and the disciples in their ministry. Tabitha and many other women contributed financially to the care of the poor. And Lydia shared of her means and offered the hospitality of her home. Lydia has been what you would call a minor saint in the life of the church, but her story has taken on greater notice in the last decade, thanks to a Lutheran pastor, Emily Scott, who about 10 years ago founded St. Lydia's Dinner Church in New York. 
St. Lydia's is a community that is deeply committed to hospitality, just like their namesake. Their main worship service on Sunday nights is a dinner church where worship takes place as dinner is shared. They cook together, eat and worship together, and clean up together. And more recently, they introduced a service geared toward families and kids called Waffle Church. I mean, sign me up for that. Waffles in Jesus? Yes. St. Lydia's has been an inspiration for me and many other church leaders. I've actually interviewed Emily a few different times about her ministry for my own research. And Lydia's has inspired us here at UDLC, where, for instance, we have dinner church at confirmation class when we learn about Holy Communion and the petition of the Lord's Prayer about receiving our daily bread. And the Waffle Church liturgy is the template for our vacation Bible school gatherings in the summer. Emily recently wrote a book about her experience at St. Lydia's called For All Who Hunger, Searching for Communion in a Shattered World. When she, she writes that when she was dreaming about starting this new church, she said, I want to name it after Lydia. Reading between the lines of the biblical text, we catch a sight of an uncommon woman. Could our church be as powerful, inviting, and unflinching as she was? St. Lydia's first gathering took place in a small gathering in a friend's apartment, and they now have a multi-use storefront space in the Gowanus neighborhood in Brooklyn. And one thing that Emily writes in her book has really stuck with me. She says, The early Christians like Lydia had a choice. They could hunker down, find a first-century version of a bunker, and hide their families deep underground. Instead, they did something different. As the world was rent apart, they came together around a table to share a meal. At the center of their community, they placed a story of death and life. As the world was rent apart, they came together around a table to share a meal, and at the center of their community, they placed a story of death and life. This passage seems even more poignant to me now than when I first read it. For we are living in a world where it feels like the seams are fraying, a world of chaos, injustice, inequality, pandemic, violence of every kind, extreme weather and heat, regressive politics, shortages of baby formula, vast wealth disparities, volatile markets and inflation, war in Europe, a mental health crisis, a world in which fear, prejudice, and hate have been weaponized for profit and so discord. In the midst of all of this, we, like Lydia and the early Christians, do not bury our heads and hearts in the sand. Rather, we respond by setting a table, this table, where anyone and everyone is welcome, and we keep at our center the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. For these are the things that define us. These are the things that sustain us and have since the earliest days of the church. Through persecution and peril, through calamity and uncertainty, Jesus' presence at the table grounds us. It gives us hope. It models for us how to live and calls us to service and compassion for the sake of the world. Here we gather, live, and act in ways that help us to know love, mercy, and peace, and then we are sent out to share them when we leave this place so that every table becomes a welcome table. For as Emily writes, if we could believe that what we need is here in church, 
maybe we could believe it in all the parts of our lives as well. That might look like sharing a meal with your family or friends, setting a table inside or outside around a campfire. It may look like mindful eating by yourself or sharing fast food in the car with your kid between afternoon and evening activities. It might look like a birthday dinner with cake icing so colorful that it dyes your tongue blue. Perhaps it is sharing potlucks, contributing to meal trains, hosting coffee hours, being part of our altar guild, which prepares the table for worship, serving and being served. Maybe it looks like feeding your baby a bottle or trying to get them to try solid food, setting a table for others, and being welcome to the table by others is our calling. For every meal is a callback to this meal, even if you are eating food over wrappers on your lap. Wherever bread is broken, Jesus is there. It is actually a coincidence, or perhaps the work of the Spirit, that we drew this story of Lydia from the lectionary for today and received recognition today for 25 years of serving at Chosen 300. 25 years. That is amazing. Monthly, we set a table by cooking and serving for our neighbors who are food insecure, those who our society doesn't see or doesn't want to see. We set a table and we see, hear, and share again the story of Jesus' death and resurrection and our hope in the life that truly is life. A couple months ago, I volunteered to do some of the cooking in the church kitchen for Chosen 300, which tells you how desperate we were for volunteers at that moment, and we can still use some help. Um, And when you do that job, you cook a dozen or so large cans of green beans and a huge vat of mashed potatoes and gallons of gravy, while deliveries of meatballs and brownies arrive all throughout the day. And then volunteers go downtown to serve that food to about 300 people and share a message and some music, keeping the story of Jesus' death and resurrection at the center, and we are all transformed. Although we may be the ones serving, we too are fed with the bread of life and feeling and knowing that this is what Jesus intends for us and for our world, where no person is a stranger, where all are welcome, where there is enough, where we taste and see the kingdom of God in our midst and glean a vision of hope for our common humanity all over a meal. Emily says, St. Lydia showed me that abundance is a secret hidden inside of scarcity. It lives tucked inside not enoughness, waiting to show you that God does not do math. Abundance is discovering God's provision right in the middle of your fret and worry, even with the bank balance when it is plummeted and the cupboard seems to be empty. There is always enough to feed everyone. This is the miracle, she says that there is never enough, but there is always enough. There is never enough, but there is always enough with God. This is the miracle that we long for in our world and in our lives. We look around at all the not-enoughness, but if we look closely enough with the eyes of faith, we see God's abundance everywhere. And so may God give us the same spirit of hospitality that God gave to Lydia and St. Lydia's. May we be gracious hosts and grateful guests. 
May we see our whole lives as a liturgy, punctuated by meals that remind us of who we are and what our world could be. Let us set the table, tell the story, listen to the Spirit, and love one another as Jesus loves us. Amen.